Well, hey, um, all right, so Theology Matters, I'm going to start by reading two scripture passages. Tonight we're sort of going, um, it's, it's not, I guess, I mean, this goes very much along with what Ben talked about last week. Hopefully it's not too much repetition. Um, this is sort of the, the basics of theology, before we even sort of get into theology. And I hope you guys know everything we talk about this entire, like any, anything we ever talk about at Oasis or at church, to some degree, is theology. But in this series, we're sort of diving more in depth into uh, this sort of academic pursuit of theology and what it is. We'll get into that a little, a little more tonight. A lot of my notes, basically this worksheet, is straight out of a college class, one of my theology classes, my first theology class at Grace here in town. But first, I'm going to read two passages. So if you have a Bible, if you have an app, if you have the Bible app on your phone, feel free to look this up um, just to follow along. But first of all, first, uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, um, a fairly young guy. We don't know exactly how old Timothy was, but he was a young pastor. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 2. Um, both of these have to do with theology and doctrine. What is this word doctrine, and how do theology and doctrine go together? But so verse 2, Paul starts like this, preach the word, he says to Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But now notice this, verse 3. This is one of the things I want you to, to see. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, just discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, a time's going to come where people just go, I, wanna, I don't, I don't want to hear this, um, I don't like sound doctrine, I'm going to find whoever I, I want to, uh, to sort of tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to flip back a page in my Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. This is the last thing I'll read and we'll get to the worksheet. But Paul again says to Timothy, this is a very sort of famous verse, especially to teenagers, it seems like. Verse 12, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And Timothy was, again, he must have been a pretty young guy. He says, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life and love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. But then he writes, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Verse 16, here that word is again, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So <coughs> there's a lot, that word doctrine and, and uh, sort of teaching is used a lot by Paul on these two letters to Timothy. But tonight we're going to um, we're going to look at this. Here's a new word for you to learn and I'd never heard this before I was at Bible college. Um, tonight this is this is prolegomena. Get throw that on the screen. Prolegomena. It's just a fun word to say. Prolegomena or it just means the stuff that comes first. Um, you don't necessarily need to know this, but I just like that word and I'll never forget like freshman year Grace University, I think it was second semester, but my first theology class and I like, I just eat this stuff up. But so the definition of prolegomena, I'm going to read it straight out of my notes. 
uh, an introduction to or the preliminary remarks relating to the study of theology. Prolegomena. Again, who cares? Like, you don't really need to know that, and it's not going to be on the test. Um, but an introduction to or the preliminary, preliminary remarks relating to the study of theology. So why care about theology? Why care about theology? Um, again, I hope, I mean, some of this isn't rocket science. You will start to feel like you're in class. Um, I'm even going to sit down a little bit, but you have blanks to fill in. I hope you actually sort of think through what you're writing down and not just like, what was that blank? I missed that blank. Um, so number one, it's an act of, of obedience to the Great Commission. To the Great Commission, of course. So you probably guessed that if you know Matthew 28. Teaching all nations. Um, go make disciples, baptize the disciples, but then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. One of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, who's now dead, um, would call this part of the Great Commission, he calls it, he has a whole book that's called The Great Omission. And he says this clause in the Great Commission is the great omission from the great commission. Because people, we do not teach people to obey everything that Jesus said to do. Um, it's sort of the thing that gets left out. And of course, it piggybacks on making disciples and baptizing them. Um, but it's an act of obedience to the Great Commission to teach all nations. Number two, it helps us overcome our wrong ideas. Having good theology and right theology and biblical theology, things that the Bible actually tells us, um, not just making stuff up or following our own uh, philosophies and desires, helps us overcome our wrong ideas. Number three, it helps us uh, to be able to make better decisions later on new questions of doctrine that may arise. Both of these are from this, Wayne Grudem is like probably the most well-known, um, at least author of theology books. But then it'll help us grow as Christians, number four and five. It will help us grow as Christians. So number four, we study doctrine and theology to know God more intimately. It helps us know about God. So again, this sort of, this theology thing, this is all encompassing of everything we teach at Oasis. But that's one of the reasons we dive into the Bible is because um, it helps us know God more intimately. Number five, we study it to worship God more fervently with our emotional and mental capacities. To worship God more fervently. So now, uh, number two, what is the difference between doctrine and theology? So, point A, sometimes these terms are thought of as synonyms. Um, that's absolutely not wrong. You know, doctrine is the same as theology. And so point one, it is true that these two words um, can mean the same thing. Very often they are used interchangeably. And for the most part, that's fine. There's an important relationship, it's a word for the blank, between doctrine and theology. So it's true that these two words concerning me, I mean, Ben pointed this out last week. Again, this author, Wayne Grudem, he's now, I think, teaches at a Phoenix seminary in Arizona. Um, but his huge, he's got this huge volume that I have on my shelf that's just massive, and the title of it is Systematic Theology, which we'll talk about. But he has another book that's a little bit smaller. This is called Bible Doctrine. He himself, you can use these words interchangeably. Um, however, though, point two, from the vantage point of history, there is a difference in the way these two terms have been used and understood. So the term doctrine, point B, doctrine comes from the Greek word uh, didaskalia, if I'm even saying that right. But it means, this isn't, this isn't too hard, it means teachings. Or that which is taught. Teachings or that which is taught. It's the content or the substance. Um, you could glean that, I'm sure, from those two passages I read in First and Second Timothy. 
watch your, your life and your doctrine closely. Know what it is that, um, that you believe and what you're teaching. But so how then should we define doctrine? Doctrine, again, this is straight out of my, my like theology notes from college, is this true and reliable biblical teaching True and reliable biblical teaching that Christians must believe and teach others so that we become more Christ-like and are not deceived by false teachings. It's true and reliable biblical teaching. And really, this doctrine is the thing that Christians pass down from generation to generation, just all the way back to what, the, um, what Jesus taught, just what's taught in the Bible. Um, but so that's doctrine. Theology, so point C, Theology is a combination, Ben went over this last week, it's a combination of the Greek word for God, theos, and the Greek word for words, um, logia, or, you know, logos, where we get the word logic, but it literally means words about God. Words about God. Typically, you know, the ologies, so we think of it as the study of God, Um, but literally it means words about God. So, point one, a user-friendly definition of theology to think and talk about God in a rational and meaningful way to the temporary culture in which we find ourselves. So it requires thinking, talking, but in a rational and meaningful way. Point two, theology is our way of thinking and talking about God as he has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible. But here's, I mean, what I sort of like is you, um, theology is really fun when you're in college, especially if you're at a Christian college, to, to sort of, yeah, to talk through contemporary issues and just uh, things of our day. I'll get into this list here. But point three wrestles with contemporary issues and concerns and seeks to find a biblical and well-reasoned response to these issues and concerns. For example, how would a Christian respond to, um, say, just say like racist comments amongst, you know, amongst your friends? All these are just examples. These aren't like, oh, these are crazy issues and concerns. Um, point two, somebody receiving the death penalty. Point three, the lyrics of a Katy Perry song or um, any other pop song for that. I mean, I just picked Katy Perry. She's well known. Some of her songs are maybe a little sort of controversial. Um, I don't just like Katy Perry. Anyway, um, number four, that's sort of an outdated movie by this point. The idea is expressed in the film The Matrix. When I was in college and at maybe late high school, The Matrix was like just like the most incredible movie ever. But it also sort of pitched this, this worldview. Um, is it existentialism? I don't even, is that it? Existentialism? <clears throat> of number five themes represented, is it already up there? Art and literature. Um, it helps us Helps us respond to number six, you know, heretical. What is heresy or heretical teaching? Just means false. False teaching is a pretty strong word, but heretical teaching given in the church. So helps us sort of keep our, our ears open for that. And then false teachings about God that circulate in our culture. Um, just one quick example. I remember um, two years ago, like the art and literature. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And there's a, a bajillion other examples too. There was a student who'd graduated from Oasis and I think was in Lincoln, and she was an art major. But I remember she actually called me. I think she called a couple other people at Brookside. She was supposed to, for her art major, um, sit and uh, do like a, a new drawing, you know, like go sit and, and draw the naked person. And she was like, 
how do I respond to this? I'm a Christian. I don't want to. I think I'm supposed to do this. Um, and you go, maybe you, th- you know, you just think that's ridiculous. She should just do it. But I wasn't really impressed that she took the time to go this, um, I don't want to look at, I mean, I understand that it's supposed to be the human body is beautiful and all this, but she had this conviction about, um, it just was this sort of, this isn't right, or I don't think I should do it. And uh, anyway, for all kinds of stuff, just uh, what movies you see, what music you listen to, um, all of those things have theological implications, or you could think through the theologies, uh, the theology behind it. Um, so what's the distinction between doctrine and theology? Point D, key point, doctrine Again, I've already sort of said this. This is repetition. But doctrine is teachings that we must believe and pass on. Theology, if you really want to dissect it and make a distinction, theology is thinking and talking about God in creative, contemporary, and orthodox ways. Um, Now, what does orthodox mean? Orthodoxy or orthodox from the Greek term orthodoxia. Orthodoxy refers to right or correct belief. You've maybe, if you've grown up in church at all, you've sort of heard that term thrown around. So Orthodox Christianity, that term shouldn't scare you. It just means like correct belief or right belief. Now, again, that's different. If you've ever heard of Greek Orthodox, um, I don't even exactly know everything that Greek Orthodox people, it's almost, I think, anyway, you could ask someone much smarter than me who knows about Greek Greek Orthodox um, beliefs and teaching. I think it's, it's different than evangelical Christianity. Um, Point two, a key point, doctrine and theology, um, must be conservative in its character. Uh, it must not stray away from the Bible. And again, when I say that, I, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm guessing most of us in here would say, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm conservative. I'm a conservative person. Um, I'm not talking, you know, necessarily politically or anything, but our doctrine or theology must be conservative in its character, meaning that it, it needs to not stray away from the Bible. Um, it requires good thinking. So a lot of theology, um, Good thinking involves introspection. It, involves, it consists of keen observation and perception. Um, good thinking consists of skills and analysis, consists of creativity. You know, when I say um, it, uh, up above, theology is thinking and talking about God in creative and contemporary ways. That creative part is really a big part of it. Theology should be very creative and um, fresh. Um, it should be clear and precise and coherent. Um, but it should still be orthodox. It needs to stick to what the Bible teaches. Um, oh, point three. So theology is thinking and talking about God more than it is thinking and talking about our own thoughts. It's thinking and talking about God, what the Bible says and teaches, um, more than it is about our own thoughts. We do not want theology to turn into meology. So it also pushes out bad thinking. I have a whole, like, pages and pages here in my notes of um, here are like some intellectual vices, gullibility, you know what that means, closed-mindedness, willful naivete. I have definitions for all of these, and I'm not going to bore you with Maybe you're like, superficiality, which is um, commending only what is obvious or apparent, not deep, penetrating, or profound, shallow. Um, intellectual arrogance, folly. And then there's things like logical fallacies. If you've ever heard of a slippery slope, somebody used a logical argument, but they um, use a slippery slope or a false dichotomy or a non-sequitur. All of these are these terms for um, basically just bad arguments. A slippery slope, for example, um, says this. A certain bad outcome 
will follow from a preceding event without any explanation of the steps leading to the bad outcome. It's called a slippery slope. So, for example, um, Nebuchadnezzar has here in my theology notes, if we allow men at grace, which is where I went to school, to wear earrings, before long they will start cross-dressing, which was a common, like, oh, we got to be really rigid and, like, men should not wear earrings. But that's really a slippery slope. It does not mean that men will start cross-dressing. but there's all kinds of these, um, overgeneralization, oversimplification, which means to reduce the cause of something complex to a single factor. Um, Troy got, here's his example, Troy got his girlfriend pregnant after he started listening to secular music on a regular basis. Um, you know why Troy got his, his girlfriend pregnant? Because he started listening to Katy Perry or something, you know, like, it's just, um, it's an oversimplification. We say stuff like this, though, you guys, and... Again, it doesn't mean you like can't say that, but it's sort of shoddy thinking sometimes. Or we say things just to get a rise out of people. Um, I won't go into all of these guilt by association, arguments from silence, a straw man. Has anybody ever heard of a straw man argument? Um, This is more common to me, and I always go, what does that mean? It occurs when we set up a false view of an opponent and then attack that view, destroying it easily in the process. Um... So one example says, Methodists believe that you can get saved, unsaved, and resaved. God has done all he can do. It's up to us to do our part to get into heaven. Um, I don't know if there's a better one. But a straw man. Anyway, there's all these logical fallacies. All right, let's go on to point three, understanding theology. Um, <clears throat> again, this, this is just important to know. It's not stuff that's going to surprise you. Our theology is produced by our interpretation of the Bible. So all this stuff, I say, oh, we need to, like, believe what the Bible teaches. But our interpretation affects that dramatically. It's produced by our interpretation of the Bible. So as interpreters, point one, we all bring baggage to our reading of the Bible. This baggage consists of both our developed and underdeveloped ideas. Um, This baggage is sometimes referred to as our presuppositions. That's a big word presuppositions, or you could say our, our pre-understandings. Point four, bringing this baggage to the text does not mean that the truth is up for grabs. It doesn't mean that suddenly truth is relative just because we have this, this, this sort of baggage. Rather, we seek to discern the truthfulness of God and His Word. We know that God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. God doesn't lie. Um, the Word of God is, is truthful. Um, it's, it's uh, I mean, I'd say it's inerrant. Um, so some of this stuff, okay, so we all have presuppositions. All that means is there are things that have happened in our past. There's just pre-understandings. There's stuff, maybe you didn't come to know Christ or you haven't really started coming to church much until now when you're in high school. And there's all kinds of stuff that we just, this baggage we bring to what we read in the Bible. And um, it's very, like, everybody has something, has some sort of presuppositions or pre-understandings. Now, to a degree, let me sort of point this, there are other things that flow into everyone's theology. Um, Scripture needs to be the highest thing, the priority, so that man-centered thoughts don't don't come in there, but reason. that, that sort of flows in there. Logic, philosophy, psychology, um, sociology, 
the sciences, uh, all that stuff, sort of that reason side of things. Another side of things is just your experience. One of the one of the downsides to us teaching theology this way, some of you are not, you just don't jive with this sort of, like, you don't want this academic sort of stuff. You would much rather be inspired by something in the Word of God. Um, but your experience plays into your theology. And then even tradition, sort of like some of the creeds, if you've ever heard of the Apostles' Creed, um, some churches, again, we can't let tradition trump the Word of God or trump the Bible. But those three things, reason, experience, tradition, all sort of play into our theology to some degree. Scripture always needs to sort of trump all of those and be the highest, the highest thing. Um, <clears throat> okay, so point B, sort of wrap up this worksheet. What is systematic theology? What is systematic theology? Systematic theology <clears throat> is sort of systematically doing theology. You gather that. It's the task of organizing giving, given themes ideas, and topics that appear in the entire Bible. So, especially in my notes, um, the biggest contrast against, um, against systematic theology is just what at least Nebuchadnezzar calls biblical theology. Now, by all means, systematic theology is biblical. It's biblical theology. But biblical theology, by definition, I guess, tends to um, point out the uh, themes, ideas, topics of a single biblical author in the in the books that they wrote, you know, Pauline, um, it's sort of worded like that, Johannine, what John wrote, what Mark wrote, what Matthew wrote. Um, systematic theology tends to be the most popular sort of way, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's looking at the whole Bible and saying, what does the whole Bible say about angels and demons and Satan? What does the whole Bible say about salvation? What does the whole Bible say about Jesus Christ or um, the Holy Spirit? Um, Point two, systematic theology attempts to organize and bring unity to all of what the Bible says, the big picture stuff. And then traditionally, um, systematic theology has focused upon the following organized categories, fields of study. Ben went over a lot of these last week, so this is repetition. Um, Bibliology, what do you think that is? The Bible, Um, the study of the Bible. Anthropology, who, yeah, it's already up there, yeah. Study of man, Christology, the study of Christ, obviously. Um, Ecclesiology, don't put it up there yet. Uh, The study of the church. Um, Angelology, that's easy. Angels or angels and demons. Um, Theology proper, that one's sort of fun, or just like study of God the Father. So theology is sort of the study of God, but it's sort of all-encompassing of this whole area of study, theology propers, um, studying God the Father. Hamartiology, the study of sin. Soteriology, salvation. Eschatology, some of you love eschatology. That's technically, the phrasing is the study of last things, of last things. But that's sort of the book of Revelation, any sort of, um, uh, what's the word? I'm blanking on it. But last thing, oh, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology. Um, Down at the bottom, so theology matters because truth matters. And we believe that from beginning to end, the Bible is full of truth. Um, 
Again, I don't know if you remember this from those videos we watched at the beginning of the year. The Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know by any means in the world or whatever, but it tells us everything we sort of like absolutely need to know about God and life. Um, it tells us what we, yeah, what we should know, what we need to know. Um, seek to find answers concerning what you believe and why you believe it. You know, there's plenty of people right now that say, um, they just say theology doesn't matter. I mean, I, I sort of hear that more and more. And even I would say that is a theology, even just to say that, to, to say theology doesn't matter, that is a theology. It's sort of a theology of you can believe whatever you, whatever you want or whatever is true for you is true for, true for you. There is no absolute truth. I heard one guy say, if you say that theology doesn't matter, that is a theology. It's a, it's a theology of salvation by works, by just like earning your own way to heaven. Maybe that's a little, um, a little too far. One more thing I want to go over um, is levels of belief. I think this can be really helpful. And Benstein should again next week. I'm not exactly. He's still gonna. He's gonna go a little further in depth into one of these areas. Um, but for example, three levels of belief that we would all. Whether you know it or not, um, you have convictions, persuasions, and opinions. Let me define these maybe real quick. Um, you don't necessarily need to write this down. but um, So convictions are those central beliefs that are crucial to a person's, a person's salvation. Um, convictions are the historical doctrines of the Christian church. They set Christianity apart from other religions and from cults. Um, Sort of classically, historically, there's six doctrines. Um, most Christians, of whole evangelical Christians, one would be the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ was God, not just a man, but the, the deity of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the virgin birth, that Mary did not have sex with some man and produced Jesus, but that it was miraculous conception, the virgin birth. The bodily resurrection of Christ. Um, fifthly, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, that Christ is our substitute. He atoned for our sins. He paid the price for our sins, and we get his righteousness when we become a Christian. There's that substitute. And then the personal return of, the personal return of Christ. You could throw in there the Trinity would be a conviction for like evangelical Christians. Um, salvation by grace through faith apart from works. Um, but all that is convictions. Then there's persuasions. Persuasions um, as, uh, as we define it, as I define it here, beliefs about which we are personally certain, but they are not crucial for salvation. Um, we should accept those who differ, from, differ with our persuasions, even if we think that they're wrong. Um, these beliefs might include things about predestination and human responsibility, or the mode of baptism. Say somebody believes, we here at Brookside, we immerse people in the water. We just did that, you know, three weeks ago. But there's different modes of baptism, um, that might be a conviction for you, but that's not a matter of salvation. You should hold that loosely. Speaking in tongues. Have you ever heard of speaking in tongues? Some of these miraculous gifts. Um, women in church leadership. That's controversial. Women in church leadership. Church leadership. Remarriage after divorce. That's, that can be a big deal. That biblically, um, you know, divorce, maybe the Bible says it's okay in matters of unfaithfulness or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Um, some people might not even grant that second one. Um, Genesis 1, was that literal or figurative? Was it six literal days? Or does evolution play a part in that? Um, literal or figur figurative? Genesis 1. Uh, persuasions. There may be things, again, that you are like, I know 100%, but you don't know 100% that the, how, how God made the earth or how to interpret Genesis 1. Um, 
Again, you can, you, can have your, you can have your convictions on that, but other people may differ. That's a persuasion. Um, thirdly, opinions. Opinions, the third thing, conclusions regarding things not clearly taught in Scripture. Um, we don't have full confidence in the truthfulness of these. These might include um, the kind of music used in worship. Like, I don't believe in that guitars or you know, instruments should be used for worship. Um, do departed loved ones in heaven watch us? Do they look down on us and can they see us? Don't exactly know that. Um, how many guardian angels are assigned to a Christian? Um, specific details related to end times events. Again, you may have different, but think of it along those convictions. That's a persuasion. That's an opinion. Um, I hope that's helpful. I'm a little over time. Here's one, one. My one final thing is this. Here's the problem with this. I'm sorry. I know you're like, shut up, Brad. Shut up. This has been boring, and you make us do homework of this worksheet. Um, we too often, here's the problem. We say we believe certain things, and we do not, um, it's hard to dissect this stuff. We just don't actually believe, like, again, I always use this illustration. If you say that pornography is wrong, and then in the moment you go and um, say you, you look something up, partake in that, in that moment, you are not believing that pornography is wrong. You're believing that it is quite right. Um, when we say we believe this stuff, again, so much of this stuff is sort of heady, and it's found in the Bible, and so... Um, we can, again, we could say we, we believe it with conviction. My problem is we get like gung-ho about certain theological stuff because some of you in here, you're really smart and you like to pick a topic and go after it. Um, but then sometimes, again, our, we're just, we don't live it out. We, um, anyway, I hope you, I'm just saying there's times where we say we believe certain things and our lifestyle tends to show otherwise, and we've really got to be careful about that. But you guys know what you believe. Get rock solid on what you believe. And uh, I'm not even going to pray because I'm four minutes over. So we're going to small groups. Ask questions about this stuff to your small group leader. Don't feel like you have to stick to the talk sheet. Um, But I hope this is helpful. We're wrapping it up next week.